0: Right Things are uh, a little eerie, a little spooky, uh, right like kind of kind of eerie, it's cold now. Um, yeah, little little people are running around in uh, Barbie and Oppenheimer costumes. I mean, that's a little scary, right? I don't know what's going on there. <coughs> Something happened. Um, but uh, it's it's fitting that we're in this season and going through the book of Revelation because this is kind of a you know culturally like kind of a spooky book, right? Uh, there's a lot of things going on in it that, that are you know, monsters and judgment and scary things. Uh, but it's good that we're going through this. There's, there's actually, if you, if you read the book, there's uh, supposedly a reward that happens uh, that, that you can gain from reading the book of Revelation. So it's really awesome that this church, we get to go through this book and at least a part of it, uh, the, the primary section here. The book of Revelation is kind of an interesting book too, where uh, that word revelation uh, the original word is apocalypse. Uh, so, you know, that zombie apocalypse is the inevitable robot apocalypse that, that will face us, no, I'm just, <laughs> that we hear about. Um, that literally means what the, what the book is translated that we have in the Bible revelation, uh, an unveiling. It's, it's kind of like a game show. Uh, what's behind door number three? It's judgment, right? Uh, <laughs> it's scary, right? Um, <laughs> but that's all it is it's a revealing. And it's not just, it's not revelations, it's not multiple revelations, it's the revelation of Jesus Christ to John the Apostle. So it's actually Jesus' revelation. If you look at the book, uh, there's actually red letters that uh, appear in this section in some of the uh, published versions of the Bible, and it's very you'll see that in the Gospels, you'll see that here, and that's why. Uh, And this book is an interesting one as well in that uh, this is probably written... Uh, by John, transcribed by John, around 90 AD. And if you think of the timeline, uh, the course of events that brings us to this writing here, Jesus dies and rises in 33 AD, right? And then the first book of the Bible, probably written maybe 50, maybe a little earlier, uh, AD, and then we're in the 90s. So it's like between, you know, in, in the 19th century, it's kind of like between World War One, World War II, the 50s, and then the 90s. So a long time. John was probably a young dude when he was hanging out with Jesus. And then now we have an old man, John, uh, talking about these churches. And it's interesting because unlike you know, Romans, which is 16 chapters, these long letters, we get these little tiny letters to uh, a circuit of churches in what, what is now Turkey, uh, Asia Minor. And uh, if, you, if you check out the map, Uh, it's literally like a ring. We've talked about that. Kind of goes in a circle here. Last week we talked about Pergamum, and there's a lot of similarities between today's Thyatira and Pergamum. They're struggling with some of the same issues. Uh, Pergamum has, you know, it's talking about Baal worship. There's there's something happening in the church, and in Thyatira, there's a false teacher, whatever that is. Um, We'll talk more about uh, what that might be and, and how it relates to us. <clears throat> but that's their problem. Uh, and as we go through, you'll notice each church kind of has a different uh, understanding of, of Jesus and his glory now, uh, that, he's, that he's ascended. You see uh, h- how he's described, and you'll see that here too. Uh, he's not just described as how he was in the Gospels. He's described in, in a lot more uh, magnificent language. That being said, uh, today we're gonna be in Revelation 2, starting with verse 18. I'm gonna warn you today, uh, for those listening online and uh, if there's any kids in the room, uh, this might be one where you have to cover ears a little bit. (laughs) We're gonna be reading some uh, intense language. I'm also going to be reading from the message. Uh, Sometimes when you're reading pretty intense books like this, it's, it's good to have a, a paraphrase, which is what the message is. It's not a word-for-word word translation. It's capturing what, what it's talking about in very vivid language. So I'm going to read this, and uh, you know, we could read it together here, uh, starting with uh, Revelation 2, 18. And it says this, Write this to Thyatira, to the angel of the church, God's son, eyes pouring, fire blazed, standing on feet of furnace-fired bronze, say this, I see everything you're doing for me. Impressive. The love and the faith, the service and the persistence, yes, very impressive. You get better at it every day. But why do you let that Jezebel, who calls herself a prophet, mislead my dear servants into cross-denying, self-indulging religion. I gave her a chance to change her ways, but she has no intention of giving up a career in the God business. I'm about to lay her low, along with her partners, as they play their sex and religion games, the bastard offspring of their idol whoring, I'll kill. Then, every church will know that appearances don't impress me. I X-ray every motive and make sure you get what's coming to you. The rest of you Thyatirians who have nothing to do with this outrage, who scorn this playing around with the devil that gets paraded as profundity, be assured, I'll not make life any harder for you than it already is. Hold on to the truth you have until I get there. Here's the reward I have for every conqueror. Everyone who keeps it, refusing to give up. You will rule nations. Your shepherd king rule as firm as an iron staff. Their resistance fragile as clay pots. This was the gift my father gave me. I pass along to you, and with it, the morning star. Are your ears awake? Listen. Listen to the wind words, the spirit blowing through the churches. Uh, If that was pretty intense for you, (laughs) uh, you're not alone. But I encourage you to think about something. Think about some of that language. Think about some of that language and how you reacted when listening to it. Was there any knee-jerk that you had? Was there anything like, that's strong, that's intense? Not just the language, but what's being said about God's justice, him seeing everything you do? It, it sometimes makes us perk up and, it, and, it, and when we kick against it. Pay attention to that feeling. Pay attention to that feeling. I'm going to ask some questions in a minute. We're going to go through this book, and we're going to see, you know, when that feeling occurs in our lives and we, and we, come and we become exposed to the word of God, there's something there. There's something there, and I think it relates to this text. Uh, let me pray, and then we'll go through it. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you that you speak to us, that you don't keep us in darkness. Father, that you have your very word given to us. And Father, I know there's, there's a lot of information you, you, you've blessed us with. And Father, I, I, I thank you so much that we have the opportunity to go through this particular passage and this particular portion um, of your text. And Father, let us have hearts to hear and let us have hearts to, to weigh uh, our own lives and examine our lives in light of what, of what you say. I pray for all of us. Um, please use me, and uh, I, I pray for this time, that we can uh, be blessed by it. For your holy son's name, amen. <laughs> this book obviously deals, deals with uh, false teaching. <laughs> we'll talk about it. Um, but I want to ask you some preliminary questions to kind of get your mind going, right? Get the engine running a little bit. Uh, if you just take false teaching and you take some questions that you normally would just ask, who, what, when, where, why? Connect those together. Uh, who, in, who do you think, just, just if, you, if you were to kind of just do a self-examination, who do you think would be a false teacher in your life? W- what would that false teaching be? Like, do you, maybe, maybe we haven't evaluated this in a little bit. It's like, have I, have I listened to some false teaching? Have I, have I subscribed to, to certain things? When do we do this? Where? Where do we end up uh, in, in the moments of our life come, come across false teaching? Why? How? Right? These are simple questions, but it helps us kind of think a little bit uh, of, of what's being said here. Because as we see, the stakes are high. The stakes are high. There's scary stuff. There's alarming stuff being said in this book. And it's worth us to have some, some self-evaluation. Uh, but let's go through the text and let's see kind of what the guardrails are here that God gives us. So first here, uh, I, I put this in kind of the good, the bad, and the consequences <laughs> Because some of it's ugly, but some of it's really good. So we'll, we'll see what those are. But let's, let's talk about the good first, okay? Um, we're moving into the NIV. This is the NIV text right here. So uh, verse 18, To the angel of the church in Thyatira write, These are the words of the Son of God, whose eyes are like blazing fire, and whose feet are like burnished bronze. <clears throat> I know your deeds, your love, your faith, uh, your service, and your perseverance, and that you're doing more than you did at first. This is amazing, guys. Uh, I think Jason and I would be in agreement by saying if, if th- this church were like Thyatira, we would be like, okay, kind of job done in a way. That's amazing. Uh, good works, good service, loving. Like if we were known as loving by, <laughs> by Jesus, like Jesus wrote to us and said that, we would be elated, right? That's amazing. This is not a bad church in any way. Uh, they're not doing bad things uh, works appear as a word in this text a lot and in this section it's good we're doing good things and better than the last uh, that's i wouldn't fit there i'd be an outlier right um these are this is good and i, and I want to establish that because it's it's going to talk about something that's entering the church and here's where we get to pick on a little bit of our modern society okay um we are people of our time, so, so here's the bad. Okay, Let's look at Thyatira and see, see where they're at here. The bad, nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophet by her teaching. She misleads my servants into sexual morality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. Yikes. Now notice, notice what's being said here. It's the toleration. The toleration. Um, you, can, you can say like the, the struggling, the, the kind of putting up with. Um, th- this word's used a, a few times in the New Testament. That's kind of the, the gist of what, what's being said here. Putting up with something. Uh, toleration in our day and age is actually a modern virtue. I think we would all say that, right? Uh, we hear it all the time. Be more tolerant, be more tolerant, be more tolerant. And I want to say this because I want to be nuanced. Yes, <laughs> we are allowed as Christians to be tolerant of people, okay? People are made in the image of God. We are image bearers of God. Tolerating human beings is totally appropriate. Uh, we love, we love, right? But the teaching that is being taught here is pulling away. Notice the, the messages um, language. It's that, cross-denying, self-indulging religion. That's, that's literally toleration to the extent that we're pulling the rug out from under our feet. Uh, that is not what we want to do. We do not want to compromise the beautiful gift we have in being reunited with God in Christ for the sake of tolerating antithetical ideas, ideas contrary to God contrary to our salvation when i had to do that evaluation that that's the kind of stuff we're talking about we're not talking about somebody somebody's a little opinionated in the wrong way than we are that's not what we're talking about we're not talking about somebody who 90 percent of what they're saying including that of the gospel is good and then they're just off on this or off on that we go okay all of us can be there by the way i think if we if we if we all took a test on the Bible, right? And we're like, uh, what do we believe? And what are our doctrines? I think we'd all be a little off somewhere, right? We'd all have, I agree with all this, but we'd all have something. And that's the beauty of the church. We're all kind of rounding each other off. Or we're sharpening each other. Iron sharpens iron. But this is, this is a different thing. What's being spoken of here is an outside idea that is infiltrating the church that's a detriment to it. I hope that makes sense. I hope that's clear. That's what's being talked about here. It's a very serious issue. Now, what's going on? Well, apparently it's the deep things of Satan. That's kind of the underline here. That's scary, right? Talk about Halloween. (laughs) Very intimidating. The deep things of Satan. Uh, Starts with Jezebel. Calls, Calls this lady Jezebel. Jezebel was, in the Old Testament, in 1 Kings, there's this woman Jezebel. She was a Phoenician, so... Uh, our Hebrew script in the Old Testament, the original language that was written in, that's, that's a Phoenician um, and Greek. They're, they're Phoenician uh, writing systems that, that evolved from Phoenician. Uh, if you ever heard of Hannibal crossing the Alps on the, on the, uh, with the elephants or whatever, they were Carthaginians, but they were, they were of Phoenicia. It was, it was a Phoenician people. Uh, they're just a Middle Eastern people or, or Mediterranean people. And what's interesting is this. Jezebel was a daughter of the king of Phoenicia, and that actually put her in a category to be a priestess, automatically. So when she, in the Old Testament, married this king uh, of Israel, Ahab, right? Uh, This is during the time after Solomon, when the kingdom of Israel split in half, Israel in the north, Judah in the south. She she married a king in the north, and they were far worse. They both weren't the greatest, but Israel was way worse, if I can put my opinion out there. (laughs) Um, And Jezebel... Uh, married Ahab and instituted Baal worship. Okay? Baal is kind of like in the Old Testament, the sharks to our jets, right? If we were having a rumble, it'd be Yahweh and Baal going right <laughs> no, no, probably not. But they were they were opposing figures in the in the ancient Near East, right? And so this is huge. She put like four hundred uh, priests in charge, which is a lot. That's a lot of people uh, for the population. And I think like only 400 Yahweh worshipers were left. So they got a lot of people. She did a lot of damage. Okay. Now, as far as the sexual immorality and the eating of food offered to idols, here's where, here's where things have to get kind of awkward in church. I have to talk about uh, a touchy subject um, Food offered to idols, I know I know this is hard uh, <laughs> it's touchy, we all been there, right no uh, <laughs> um, no for, actually first let's let's talk about the the sexual impurity here um, if you read the Old Testament almost almost always with with idolatry, especially in the later years um, of israel there's a lot of sexual language associated with idolatry um That's because procreation, they understood, man, woman, come together, baby. So if you procreated with idols in some way, or toward idols or whatever, um, maybe it would rain, it would produce things for production. That was kind of their idea. Uh, Off, (laughs) but you can see how somebody could think that, I guess, uh, back in the day. That's the awkward part there. with the food offered to idols, it's kind of a weird thing because it pops up in, in the New Testament weirdly often. Uh, you'll see it a lot if you look for it. Uh, food offered to idols is this. The way that the ancient religions worked with idolatry is you would have these polytheistic deities uh, that they worship, these gods, right? You could talk about Baal. You could talk about you know, Osiris or all these different ancient Near Eastern deities. And what they would do is you would have this little stick you carve in the shape of somebody. You'd lay it with, you know, a precious metal, put gems on it or whatever. And then you would have this ritual called opening of the mouth where you'd do something and it would have like eternal, internal organs. And then you had to feed it like twice a day. It's kind of weird. Like a lot of rules. You're like, come on, man. Uh, <laughs> so many rules with these idols. But that's what it is. You had to feed them twice a day. And you had to wash them um, for, for uh, the younger groups of us, it's a, kind of like a Tamagotchi, right? Where you had to feed it. You know, those little like computer things, computer pets, and you had to feed them. And you lose it in your drawer for a while. And you're like, 15 years later, you're like, oh, my Tamagotchi, I forgot about that. And you, get, you get it out and there's little poop emojis all over and it's died. And it's like, oh man, I didn't feed it twice a day. <laughs> it's like that, <clears throat> but there's like extreme consequences. You might, you might have a famine if you forget to feed your idol, right? that's a manifestation of your deity. So if your deity, if you're trusting your deity, your God, to provide you with food and you don't feed it twice a day, I don't know why it needs your care, but fair enough, then you might not have crops. That's the real-world risk that they were facing. So how does this affect Thyatira? They weren't worshiping the Middle Eastern deities like Baal. This probably wasn't Jezebel, like somebody actually named Jezebel. I doubt they named uh, somebody, some parent named somebody after uh, a horrible lady in the Old Testament who's was pushed out of a tower and eaten by dogs. Uh, it's probably not what happened. It's a symbol, right? This is a, a, another idolatrous woman who's leading them into idolatry. And what's happening here is there's something happening where there's similar... Obviously, the sexual idolatry, the food offered idols, there are still problems in the New Testament. Those are still issues. Thyatira was known for being, a few of these uh, cities were known for being um, locations for temples. Thyatira is no different. They had, I believe, uh, Apollo and Artemis, I want to say, were uh, the local deities there. And there was a lot. If you think about that, if you think about that being your, uh, you know, why your, your tourism board, you know, people come to your town because they're trying to get at your idols. Ooh, they have Apollo here. What you would do is that would be a huge monetary investment for the community. And so, you know, uh, who's, all, who's all involved? I mean, uh, metal workers, woodworkers for making the idols and different things like that. You have the people who make food and, all, and, and grow food and stuff like that. They're getting food sold and stuff like that because then they can offer it to these idols and all that stuff. It becomes a huge industry. And so that now we know who the movers and the shakers are in the community. And now it's infecting the local church. It's already being persecuted. We talked about that before too. This is a time of great persecution in the church. And so now you have a horrible mixture of a persecuted people who are very loving, very kind people, right? They're trying to be like Jesus in their community. They have Christ inside them. They're trying to reflect that. And then you have this societal pressure that's, you know, they're wanting to be loved. They want to be inclusive, right? They want to bring people in and it's a volatile mix. See the issue? That's what's happening here. Now, if that weren't bad enough, you have this whole issue of idolatry that's happening. Let me ask this, how does that affect you? Maybe we're good like they were good. How does idolatry affect us? It's kind of interesting. What are the big things in your life that might be pulling you away from the gospel. Um, I heard recently somebody say uh, if you think about uh, one of the biggest problems in our society today, it's child sacrifice. And it's probably not what you think. It's, you know, in our pursuit of the almighty dollar, we often forsake our children and our spouses for money. Right, and this messes up the home. It's almost the statistics are almost comparable from divorced parents to people who are at work all the time, right? But is it bad to make money? No, but if that becomes your end all be all, if that's your pursuit, your main pursuit, your primary pursuit, <clears throat> becomes an idol in your life and it's pulling you from how you should be in Christ. And this is the kind of stuff, this is this is where. Really, it gets tricky to talk about false teachers because there's so many ways you can you can you know mess with scripture and and twist things. What I would say is this: be aware, be aware of the things that are competing with Jesus in your life, right? Instead of keeping up with the Joneses, maybe keep up with Jesus. Um, let's get to the consequences. So first off, I have here the ugly. Um, I have given her time to repent of her immorality, but she is unwilling. So I'll cast her on a bed of suffering, and I'll make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely, unless they repent of their ways. I'll strike her children dead. Then the churches will know that I am he who searches hearts and minds. I will repay each of you according to your deeds frightening now notice this is this is the ratchet effect that's happening is this church good and great yeah they're epitome of what we would like right they're a great great group it's the toleration that slowly trickles in right and it's not hear me when i say this too this is not something where you you have to be have your head on a swivel per se and ostracize everything and become Amish and live in isolation. <laughs> like, I can't let it in, I can't let it in. Guys, we live in a, and, and this is true of the church for since its inception, we live in a very, what's called pluralistic society. There's many beliefs, many ideas, a lot of them compete with the truth, right? They're, they're falsehoods, and that's fine. Out there, that's fine. That's, that's totally cool. You're going to run into it. You should be aware that it exists. It's when that stuff starts affecting the gospel, and what is set up here, and what you hold on to. That's the danger. When you start prizing that over the gospel, that's that's the problem. And there's real-life consequences. And you'll see this in scripture. Um, You know, false teaching is a huge deal, and it's often really egregious. Uh, It's really obvious and bad. Um, There are people teaching that, like, Jesus had a wife and, like, all this, you know, he was purely God, not man, or vice versa. And you you could twist anything in Scripture to, to fit some pet project. So separation from false teachers is actually something that's common in the New Testament. 1 uh, Timothy talks about it. 1 um, John talks about a sin unto death, too. And and, and here's the deal. There are real-life consequences for sin. Hear what I'm saying and hear what I'm not. Hear what I'm saying and hear what I'm not. I'm not saying, I'm not saying that if, if you believe in Jesus and you sin in any way or whatever, you're going to hell for life. That's not what I'm saying. Uh, there's no, don't worry, that's not the consequence. The consequence here is literal physical death and sickness and suffering in this life because of your sin. And, and there, are, there are obvious sin, uh, problems with sin, I know this is hard, <laughs> there, there are obvious problems with sin. If you murder somebody, you have to live with that for life. You, you have a record. You have all sorts of, uh, of societal issues with your sin. What I'm talking about is literally sickness and death. Sickness and death from God can be a penalty. I know it's hard. I know it's hard. That's a real life problem. Now, <clears throat> the good. <laughs> let's, let's have a little good ending here. The good. It says this. Now I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, to you who do not hold to her teaching and have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets, I will not impose any other burden on you except to hold on to what you have until I come. To the one who is victorious and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations. That one will rule them with an iron scepter and will dash them into pieces like pottery just as i have received authority from my father i will also give one the morning star whoever has ears let them hear what the spirit says to the churches this is this is crazy phenomenal amazing news if if we hold merely if we merely hold on to the truth we have that's it we hold on to the truth we have We'll be rewarded in heaven. I don't know what that looks like. There's something about ruling. I keep my hand, like, what I say when I come to passages like this, if, if it's uh, general, I leave it general. I go, okay, apparently there's ruling here. I don't know what that looks like. But I know this, he says, just hold on to what you have. What do you have? What do you have? Um, And I I think this is kind of where the rub lies. I think sometimes we forget the amazing thing we have in Jesus. We start trading it for what seems better in this life. Not just what, what pleases us, although that's true too. It tickles our sin nature, but it's also the stuff that really just, like the idol, replaces our Jesus what's the thing that is replacing Jesus in your life? That's the fear. That's the struggle. That's the thing we want to get away from. But notice, notice he doesn't say, hey, you, okay, now, here's your game plan. You have to do this and this and this. You have to do this. You have to jump over this. You have to hurdle this way. If you want to you know, take 10 steps back, blah, blah, blah. He says, hold on to what you have. If you merely value Jesus as you ought to, you're in. Now, it sounds low, it's a high bar, right? It's, it's a dangerously high bar because it's, it's so easy to forget what we have. We're so fallible, we're so finite, it's, it's often difficult, right? It's difficult to remember. But that's why, that's why we need to be aware that this false teaching exists and it means we have to be aware of what we have. So here we go. I'm gonna give you a couple things you can take away here. Uh, first, know this. Know this, false teaching exists, guys. False teaching exists. Not everybody is right. We have to get that out of our mind. Not everybody is right. Uh, exclusivity is actually true. Uh, I had a buddy once that I, I sat down with at a, co- a coffee shop. We were talking about this, and he was curious about what I believed, and I was curious to hear what he, he had to say. We were talking about this, and um, he was like, people just need to realize that everybody's right. I was like, "Oh." Everybody's right? It's like, yeah, everybody's right, man. We just need to... Everybody's right. It's like, oh, what if I disagree with you? (laughs) Am I right about you being right of me being wrong, and you're right, and we're wrong? Like, and you're... What's going on? (laughs) If everybody's right, nobody can be wrong. It's crazy, Uh, Tom. What happens when I disagree? it means this it means there's only two options there's only two options somebody's right the other the other person's right or they're both wrong that that's it you can't have everybody's right we need to realize false teaching exists and it's okay that's okay it's hard it's hard out there guys it's hard out there to, to live that way sometimes but people are doing that too with you that guy who that guy who told me everybody's right that's exclusive too nobody he would talk to would believe <laughs> nobody who talked to would believe that You know, he wants to be welcoming, like, you know, Islam and Christianity and whatever. And they'd be like, no, don't touch me. Like, (laughs) I'm not on your team. Right? That's exclusive. That's exclusive. And you know false teaching exists. Here's another hard thing. We need to know our Bibles. We need to know scripture. Now, I understand this is hard. There's a lot of it. There's a lot of it. We have a big book. We sell a lot of them, but they're they're big. Uh, You can do what Jason and I did. And you can go to school for a concentrated amount of time where they just turn on the fire hose and just spray you. And you're like, well, Jesus, I did And they start hitting you with stuff. You're like, I did. Um, <laughs> real life experience, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> you, you could do that. It takes a concentrated amount of time, and it's, and it's a lot. It's, especially nowadays, it's a lot of money. Um, but I encourage you, there's some good schools. Uh, I went to Ethnos 360 uh, for my Bible education. I would, I would recommend that two years, whatever. Uh, I know Liberty does stuff online. I know Moody does stuff. There's a ton of really good schools out there that you can do online in, in your time. But again, it's a time commitment. The other thing you can do is this. <laughs> read your Bible as, as much as you often can. Take some time. I know it's a lot. Get a translation you can read. You can always work up to a different translation next year or whatever. Um, Come to church, listen to good teaching, uh, get connected with a small group by the way, our teaching you can go uh, onto our podcasts uh, wherever pe- you can find podcasts you can listen to our teaching here if you want to go back, go through different series like that if you're interested in a particular book that's a good way to do it um, like I said, you can join our small groups there's ways you can get connected here at church where you can you can learn more but what I what I wouldn't suggest is be ignorant to that and then shun everything up then you're then you're just not knowing what, what's true. <laughs> um, hold, learn, your, your, learn your scriptures. The other thing is this. Be aware, that some false, uh, be aware of some false teachers. Uh, it's hard for me on the pulpit to name names of false teachers because there's, I mean, A, it's, there's a ton of people saying something wrong. But what we're saying is, these are people who are antithetical to what we believe. Um, listen to good teachers. Listen to the examples they give of people who are, are leading people astray. Uh, good rule of thumb. If they're, if, they're, <laughs> if they're teaching you that sin is okay, disregard that completely. And if they're teaching a different gospel than the one from Scripture, disregard it. So two good rules of thumb. Here at church, uh, at this church we have we're part of a larger family. Uh, we have oversight here, so if Jason or I teach something, uh, well, Jason will like ruin my life if I teach something wrong. <laughs> but we also have uh, oversight where if we're teaching something, they will literally just—you'll see a hook come out off stage and pull us right. Uh, they will, heads will roll. Uh, we we can't we can't stray off of scripture here. So just be be comforted in that. But no matter what, you guys can always talk to us. You can always talk to us and say, hey, I have a question about what you said last week. Can I talk to you? Do you, have, do you have time? Guaranteed, we can make time for that. So if you have any questions, I love answering questions. You'll probably walk away like, hey, buddy, i got places to be. But you can ask me questions. I'd, I'd love to field them. So leadership matters. The Bible matters, guys. So uh, that being said, let us, let us be careful about what we allow to enter our ears. Let's make sure it's scriptural. Uh, Let's make sure it's gospel affirming. Once again, thank you so much for listening. If you live in Southeast Wisconsin, we'd love to connect with you at our weekend gathering. For service time, directions, and to learn more about our vision to ignite a movement of love that transforms our community and the world, visit us at mosaicwi.com.